you're thinking to yourself, it can't be right that everything about students or everything about government employees is always secret. Trust your instincts. Trust your common sense. You're probably right, and there's an excellent chance either that the law is already on your side or that we can fix it. Open data and government transparency are two of the perpetual struggles facing working journalists. Today, we talk to someone who offers a glimmer of hope in our quest for a more open society. I'm Michael O'Connell, and you're listening to It's All Journalism. Today, we're talking to Frank Lamonti, professor and director of the Breckner Center for Freedom of Information at the University of Florida College of Journalism and Communications. Welcome back to the podcast, Frank. Thanks so much for the opportunity, Mike. Okay, so, you know, we, you and I spoke way back in 2015 about the Student Press Law Center. What have you been up to since then? Well, I left the Student Press Law Center right about a year ago in uh, August of 2017 for what was really, uh, it's rare that a, a once-in-a-lifetime job presents itself to you twice in a lifetime, <laughs> but in fact, I, I got that opportunity when I joined the SPLC in 2008 to go run an organization that advocated for the rights of student journalists. It was a dream come true, an opportunity to take all of my journalism training and all of my legal training and put it together under one roof, uh, I thought that I would never top it. And then in 2017, my uh, old undergraduate school, University of Florida, um, came calling with this opportunity to run a research center, a think tank about the rights of journalists and about the rights of all citizens to access information. And so just about a year ago, I made that switch to become a professor and a researcher here in Gainesville, Florida, running this organization that is dedicated to trying to maximize everyone's access to civically useful information. Okay. So how do you do that? You, you mentioned research. You know, what does it involve? Do you have researchers? Are you putting out papers? Are you, you know, appearing in media? all of the above. So Breckner Center has been around for about 40 years, and through most of its history, it was focused on the law of Florida and the Florida Freedom of Information Law, Open Meetings Law, all of which is still important to us. But my charge is a little different. My charge is to identify and try to develop solutions for the most persistent legal problems that are afflicting the 99% the of journalists who work outside the Beltway not the people who have excellent legal representation because they have the general counsel of the New York Times or CNN or the Washington Post behind them, but the people who are out there covering the police beat in Shreveport, Louisiana, or the school board in Roanoke, Virginia, and who don't always have good resources to draw on. So um, we're uh, one of the ways in which we work is by using the resources of uh, graduate journalism students and law students together to try to research the, the, the legal problems and potential solutions that affect those journalists doing work at the state and local level. Very first thing we published just a few weeks back was about access to information from police agencies in the event of officer-involved shootings. That seemed like a very timely and urgent project and one that actually was brought to us by the sheriff's office in Seattle, Washington. They were concerned, frankly, that they had not always done the best job of keeping the public informed and giving out the most accurate information in the event that an officer was involved in a high-profile shooting, and they wanted to do better. And we developed what we think is a pretty optimal policy drawing on the best practices of law enforcement agencies around the country, kind of hybridizing them into one 
And uh, we put that in the form of a white paper, and we're pushing that out through op-eds and speeches and presentations. So that's kind of how we'll work. We're, we're not litigators. I've had to hang that hat up. I, I don't go to court. Um, I, we will file briefs from time to time. We uh, did one recently in the U.S. Supreme Court in the Fane Lozman's First Amendment case, and, and we'll do that from time to time when we think there's one that implicates an issue we're concerned about. But for the most part, we work as public policy advocates. So we're doing the research, developing the best evidence that people on the ground in their states can use in order to advocate for change. The topic of your most recent white paper is something that, that, you know, as you said, is really, you know, timely. I know that's, you know, police involved shootings. I hear this, you know, I've been doing this podcast for, for six years, and this is something that comes up whenever we talk about freedom of information. Just the, is the local police force policing itself? How open is it? Is it? And the frustration, I've talked to many journalists who are frustrated with, you know, getting public information about shootings and, mm-hmm. you know, the, the city hall or, or the police department. So, well, we're going to investigate it. And of course, what ends up happening is they investigate it. So, yeah, there's nothing going on here. And transparency in, in a situation like that is so crucial, not with the idea of, you know, punishing the police, but, you know, making sure that, that everything has been done correctly. And you can only do that when you have openness. And I think one of the ways that our work here will will complement what advocates are already doing around the country is that because we're not litigators, because we're not taking individual cases to court, we're able to work more globally, including by hopefully bringing together stakeholders around the table to hammer out what optimal policies might look like. I mean, uh, especially since the 2016 election, a lot of resources around the country have been dumped into litigation centers trying to uh, fortify journalists' ability to bring cases against government agencies that are recalcitrant about uh, turning over information or that are trampling on journalists' rights, and and that's wonderful. I'm happy that that capacity exists. But in my years of doing this work, I've become increasingly convinced that you can't sue your way to success. Uh, Government agencies – I've worked uh, on the opposing side with government agencies that will lose a lawsuit and will turn right around the next day and go back to their old ways as if nothing had happened because it's not their money. None of the people who are making those decisions has any personal financial stake in the outcome. And in fact, to them, sometimes being sued is a victory because it prolongs their ability to withhold information. And so if you're somebody like University of North Carolina Chapel Hill, which is a persistent open government scoff law, an organization that's just dedicated itself to frustrating and thwarting public accountability for a very long time, they do not care if they get sued or not, because to them, they've just bought themselves two years that they can string out disclosure in the courts. And so that's a win for them. So you just can't sue your way to success. I think it's wonderful that we have that enforcement arm. I think it's wonderful we have that litigation muscle. But increasingly, I'm convinced that if we're going to make any progress in making government more transparent, it's going to be by bringing together the stakeholders that can make change. And what I'm talking about is broadening the coalition for openness in government. So not just journalists, because they've always been bearing the load and and carrying the weight of advocating for open government, but people like Black Lives Matter, people like environmentalists, people who benefit from access to information, making open government their fight too. 
it seems that, you know, I hate to put out a generalization there about, about the public, but when we talk about freedom of information, you know, people tend to think that this is a journalist fight. But in actuality, you know, public information, information for the public, you know, we all have a stake in it. And it seems to me that that would be a huge challenge to try to raise that awareness. And I guess that's, you know, part of the fight that you're doing. I think it's certainly challenging to get people to think of openness in government as being an urgent priority in their lives. You know, if you do the, the Maslow's hierarchy, does it put food on the table? No. Does it put a roof over your head? No. I get that there are more urgent priorities in everybody's life. And, and when you see that, that people are, are dying at the hands of, of police, obviously your first concern is to stop that from happening. But behind so many of these successful advocacy campaigns, there is an open records request that may not be fully appreciated. I mean, why is it that we know that there are Chicago police officers who uh, covered up and lied about shooting Laquan McDonald, who put forth a false narrative about him threatening them with, with a knife? Why is it that we know that? We know that because a journalist spent 11 months in court fighting to get a hold of the video that the police persistently dug in and, and tried to withhold. So we know of some of these issues. We know about the water the depth of the water crisis in Flint, Michigan, and the lengths to which the state went to ignore it. We know that because we got public records. We know a lot about police misconduct and corruption because of public records. So I think, honestly, is it a hard case to make? Yes, it's a hard case to make, but it's sort of a uniquely opportune time to make that case because the public is realizing the benefits of, of a transparent and open government. So let's sort of take the temperature right now of where we're at in, you know, government openness and, uh, you know, the accessibility to data. Are we on an upswing? Are we in a downswing? Or are things just sort of the same as they've always been? It's a best of times, worst of times story. On the optimism side, and I am an optimist, a lot of municipalities in particular and, and even states are starting to embrace what's called the, the open data movement. And so like if you go to the state of Ohio's website today, you'll find an interactive copy of the state budget where with a couple of clicks, you can run a query and find out who are all the biggest contractors receiving payments from the state of Ohio so I can find find out, oh, uh, Corrections Corporation of America is getting X tens of millions of dollars to operate private prisons in the state of Ohio and so on. Those are things that, frankly, not very long ago, you used to have to drag out of these organizations by making public records requests. So on the optimistic side, there are good people within government who are recognizing the value of being more voluntarily forthcoming with their information, and that's all good. On the opposing side, I don't think there's any question that people in government are more obsessively protective of their image than they have ever been before. And that obsession with image is really at the root of so many of the civic problems that we face in this country. The fact that government agencies often prioritize looking good over being good, that they prioritize creating an impression among the public that there are no problems here and there's nothing wrong here and there's nothing to see here over actually trying to address and fix the underlying problems. And so I think that's the job that, that we have to do as, as advocates is to get the public to kind of push back and reject this notion that 
it is a, a legitimate use of government resources to fool the public into bullets where you're, you're thinking to yourself, it can't be right that everything about students or everything about government employees is always secret. Trust your instincts. Trust your common sense. You're probably right, and there's an excellent chance either that the law is already on your side or that we can fix it. Well, that's great advice to end this. Frank, thanks for coming on the podcast. It's a wonderful program. Thanks for the opportunity, Mike. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the changing state in digital news. Find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. You can also find us on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Podcast One. It takes a lot of people to put together an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicola Grisco produced this podcast. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music. Nick Hunter provided a web assist and research. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Hey, did you want, ever want to find out how to produce a, your own podcast? Well, you know, as you may know, I've written a book, Turn Up the Volume, A Down and Dirty Guide to Podcasting, and you can find out some details about that at uh, itsalljournalism.com. But if you also go there, you'll begin to see some videos that I'm creating about certain aspects of producing a podcast episode. So the first one has been posted this week. It's about how to uh, edit audio in the Audacity program, which is a program that you can download free online. So check it out. We're going to be producing more how-to videos like this about you know, how to conduct an interview, how to, I don't know, edit episodes, post episodes online. If you have any questions or any topics that you'd like us to sort of discuss in these videos, drop us an email at editor at itsalljournalism.com. Otherwise, check out the video, let us know what you think, and uh, maybe start your own podcast. It's All Journalism is produced in partnership with the Association of Alternative News Media. Thanks for listening. The What's Working in Washington podcast with your host, Jonathan Aberman. We share this region's innovative, entrepreneurial, and creative spirit. This podcast tells impressive stories of passion and spunk taking place here in the D.C. region. It illustrates how the nation's capital is anything but the stuffy, bureaucratic, politics-only reputation it tries to shed. The What's Working in Washington podcast. Find it on iTunes, the Podcast One app, podcastone.com, or at WTOP.com. Search Podcast D.C. The Finish the Game Podcast with your host, Sean Alexander. Draw play to Sean. Across the 10, the 5. Touchdown, Seahawks. Hey, this is Sean Alexander, NFL MVP. Check out my podcast, Finish the Game, where I discuss sports and life lessons helping you become an MVP. The Finish the Game Podcast. Find it on iTunes, the Podcast One app, podcastone.com, or at WTOP.com. Search Podcast DC.